God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Salah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 46, which along with Psalm 48 are the psalms appointed for today, Friday, December the 31st, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our look at the prophecies in Isaiah. Um, also, today, we, we're not in Revelation now. We've, we're moving over to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, through chapter 6, verse 2. But continuing in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12 to 19. So, remembering that what we've seen in Isaiah is him looking forward to the day He's announced that the people are under judgment and that God's going to remove them from the land, that, that, that there's a price to pay for that. But he also, because this is always God's heart, is to say once that punishment, let's say, has been done, then there's always a blessing on the backside of that. It's never fun to go through bless, or cursing, certainly, and through punishment, but, but there's always a blessing on the other side because the Lord is preparing the people to receive him, to rejoice in him, and to live with him. So he's saying here, in that day, when this happens, this song will be sung in the land of Judah, even though today nobody seems nobody's going to be interested in singing happy songs right now. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Remember yesterday in the prophecy, he talks about God wrecking strong cities of their enemies. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. So it's a specific kind of nation that's coming in, a righteous nation that keeps faith. That's what God's looking for. And it's the way that he prepares a people for himself. It is by they are to display his glory to the world by their righteousness and their faith keeping in response to his faith keeping. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's important that we stand in that peace that only he can give. It only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It only comes by standing before him and acknowledging him as Lord, but acknowledging that in spite of everything going on in the world and the world around us, he is Lord. He's in charge. It may not look like it at any given moment, but he is in charge of all things. Nothing goes beyond what he, the limits that he has set. And so we can trust in him. And, and as Christians, we can trust in him completely because of the resurrection of Jesus. So we know there's a world to come. They, we know there's a resurrection of the dead. And if we're in him because he said so, then we will participate in that. No matter what happens here on this earth, this is a temporal, short-term thing. <clears throat> trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He's the only thing in which we can trust, because he alone is everlasting. 
He has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, cast it to the dust. He's not talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about other places. The foot tramples, <coughs> tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous, which is exactly what John said he was coming to do. He was the voice crying in the wilderness that says, Make straight the paths of the Lord. Isaiah talks about this image more than anybody else, about the level path. And only the righteous shall tread on that path. And it's level and it's clear. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. In other words, there's a price to pay, and that's called judgment, for the world being out of righteousness. In other words, when the world becomes as it is today, which is so far from the revealed will of the Lord for the way that we should live, then then judgment is the way that the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. They, they, it, it, things have to get almost, it seems, from all of redemption history, things have to get out of control and have to get so far out of whack that, that it's obvious that this is judgment for us to even see it. it. It has to be a dramatic reversal. It has to be a dramatic judgment before the world ha- will do any level of self-reflection to see why this is happening. So it's got to be obscene, actually, is the best way to say it, I think, before the world can receive it as judgment. It has to be so far wrong, and and we're hopefully getting close to that place where things are so far wrong that we can actually see, nope, this is judgment. It's not a political movement. No, this is actual judgment, but it's going to have to be dramatic, and and I'm not looking forward to it in any shape, form, or fashion. So the, the world is worse than it's ever been in so many ways, in spite of the fact that the Enlightenment would tell us, well, because now we think rationally, we're moving in a direction of uh, human improvement and, and human flourishing, and what I see is the opposite of that. In the Gospel, Jesus, this is after that sort of parenthetical story of the woman caught in adultery that that I've told you it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts doesn't come in for a couple hundred years in fact so again Jesus spoke to them saying I'm the light of the world before this what he had done was to offer rivers of living water if you came to him so now he's saying something different I'm the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life and this light that he's speaking of is not you know like a street light or a flashlight or even the sun moon and stars no the light of the world it, when he speaks of that in the jewish mind at, especially at that time what that would go to is the creation of let there be light and that light is not the sun moon and stars those are created later And so this is the light, this primordial light, by which everything else can be seen. So that's the light that he's speaking of here, the light of the world. That's what it is. But it also refers to the Torah, which is the light of the world. And so when John says he is the Word, 
That's exactly what he's referring to when he says, I'm the light of the world. He says, I'm the Torah. I'm the written word of God. I'm the, I'm the spoken word of God. And, and the first thing that's created is light. And so he is the, the firstborn of all creation. And he, it's not that Jesus is that light. He wasn't created at that time. He, he is the light in the same way that we see in the end of Revelation when, when there's no temple and the lamp by which the light is seen, is the Lamb. So that's the light of the world. The light of the world gives more than just physical sight. It gives much more than that. It gives spiritual sight. It gives spiritual understanding so that you don't walk in darkness, casting about trying to figure things out. No, he says if you want to see the world correctly and if you want to understand the world correctly, understand it through me. Everything is understandable in that way. And so you won't walk in darkness if you walk in him. You'll have the light of life. So you can have rivers of living water, and you can also have the light of life by coming to him. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. In other words, remember Nicodemus has suggested that it's not right to try somebody without giving them the right to defend themselves against the charge. Here they're saying, we've given you the opportunity to do that, but you're bearing witness about yourself. That's not good enough. We need more than one witness. He says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. In other words, you're walking in darkness and so my testimony is true because I'm not walking in that darkness that you are. You wouldn't know the truth if it smacked you in the face, is essentially what Jesus says. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. But even if I do judge, my judgment's true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In other words, he's not going to pass judgment separate from what the Father shows and tells him. If in your law it's written that the testimony of two people is true, because they've said, you're only bearing witness about yourself. You know, we need more witnesses than that. He says, I'm the one who bears witness about myself. He repeats their charge. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Well, that's a big claim. And they misunderstand it on the front end. They said to him, therefore, where's your father? They're thinking about his earthly father, Joseph, who we don't see after he takes Jesus to the temple when he's like 12 years old. We don't see Joseph again. So when they ask this... They could be asking, well, he's dead. So unless you've got a different father, then you need to help us. He says, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So he's saying that that there's such a family resemblance that you would recognize. If you knew the father, you'd recognize me as well. And the other way around, if you knew me, you would recognize the Father. And it's the same kind of conversation that he's going to have later at the Last Supper. He want, Philip wants him to show us the Father. So we'll know where you're going and what you're talking about and all these things. And, and Jesus is frustrated, certainly with Philip at that point. He says, I've already shown you the Father. Have you been with me this long and you don't recognize this? You don't understand these things? I mean, the Pharisees are not understanding what he's talking about. They, they can't imagine at some level, to be honest with you, that, that he's talking about the Father in heaven when, they, when he says these things. They, they've misunderstood at a very basic level what Jesus was talking about. And what he says is, is that you don't know what you think you know. And what you think you know keeps you from knowing the truth. It's as simple as that. 
um, but they have misunderstood both him and the Father. It's a ringing indictment on the people who are the leaders of God's people. But it's the ringing indictment that had to be brought against those false shepherds and against the wicked shepherds, the ones that are spoken of in Ezekiel and Zechariah. And so Jesus is here to be the good shepherd, but he brings light to us. In other words, he helps us see through the stuff in the world to see all the way through to the truth of it. In Paul, in this passage from 2 Corinthians we're looking at here, he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, which is exactly what Jesus has accused the uh, Pharisees of doing, is is that you judge according to the flesh. And, And Paul says, we don't do that anymore. We're looking at something else. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Credit, huge credit to Paul for this, because what Paul's saying is, hey, I, I I used to think that I used a proper judgment, but I made the biggest mistake of my life by judging Christ according to the flesh. I judged him to be a man. I judged him to be a false prophet. I judged him to be a false messiah. And boy, was I wrong. (laughs) And I found that out when a voice came from heaven and I asked who was speaking to me. And the answer was, I am Jesus. He says, so I don't make those kind of mistakes anymore. I try my best not to judge anybody according to the flesh any longer. I I try and listen to the Spirit tell me how to judge people. And and we can make those bad judgments in two different ways, right? We can overlook people who shouldn't be overlooked because they don't seem impressive in the world and all that kind of stuff. They don't have all this. But we can learn from anybody if God's speaking through those people. So don't overlook anybody because they don't look like much according to the flesh. But he also would say the opposite of that is true. Don't judge anybody according to the flesh. If it looks good, still pray and ask if this is something you should pay attention to or if you should judge by the Spirit and decide, nope, while it might look good in the world, it doesn't look good to God. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new, has come. the new has come. I'm not going to judge you on your past. I'm not going to look at that. Nope. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And I should expect to see a radical break from who you were before. I should expect to see somebody who is Christ-like in who they are because you've been reborn according to the Spirit. Exactly like Jesus said to Nicodemus, had to take place. So I need to see the new creation in you. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling himself to the world, not counting their trespasses against him, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he says that... that He reconciled us to God through the blood of Christ, and then he gave us a ministry of reconciliation. We have a work to do, and that is to proclaim that reconciliation through the forgiveness of sins, which is made possible through the death of Jesus on the cross, the willing sacrifice. And then the resurrection is the proof that that sacrifice was accepted by the Father. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ— We've been sent with a message. We don't represent ourselves. We represent him. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're speaking for Jesus here. 
be reconciled to God. He made the only sacrifice you'll ever need. All you have to do is believe in his name and become a new creation by receiving the Holy Spirit in order that you can become that, that, um, that person who is reconciled to God, but who is also then empowered and commissioned to be a, a ministry of reconciliation, proclaiming that message to the world. Every Christian is empowered with the Holy Spirit to do that ministry to proclaim him who has died for you and in whose name you have salvation. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have to become that in Christ. We are not the righteousness of God standing alone. We are always, in our earthly life, standing positionally in his righteousness, but... We are also called to pursue righteousness in our own lives. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Remember back in that first lesson in Isaiah, it began with, in that day, that song will be, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Here, Paul says, today is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, which is exactly what Jesus did in Luke 4 when he goes to the synagogue in Capernaum and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah in, in Isaiah 61, and then he says, now, now, this day, this has been fulfilled in your eyes. And then he goes on to do all the things that he read from the scroll of Isaiah. So we need to say today, today is the day. It's the favorable time, and we always need to be prepared to proclaim that. But we need to proclaim it in our lives as well. People need to see it in us. They need to say there's something different about that person, and whatever it is, I want to know what it is, and I want that. And then they're prepared to receive the gospel.